The difficulty with this one for Ty, I went out praying this morning, and I, to, to articulate a thought, an impression, a discernment into words and ideas that have logic and reason to them is not always easy. So I just said, Ty, just come in, give us your heart, and we'll pick through it and allow the Spirit of God to speak to us. This is a very important notion that God is putting into us as a community. I, I met with a church planter for lunch on Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And he was driving down from Pasadena and he said to me, Chris, he said, I don't know why, but all the way down, I felt God say, prepare for growth. And that's interesting because we don't really craft ourselves around the idea of growth. If growth comes, it's wonderful, but it's not our objective. And uh, I've been mulling over that kind of prophetic statement since then. What does it mean to prepare ourselves for growth. And I can think of no better starting point than to invite the love of God to be shed abroad in our hearts so that we really are a community of love. And in case you amen that, in case I amen that, I suspect we don't fully know what it means. So Tyler is going to tell us fully what it means. Put that on me. <laughs> yeah, baby. Oh, yeah, baby. Thank you. She's having our baby. Increase and multiply and fill the earth. We're just doing what God said. Um, the love of God, where do I even start? Actually, Chris didn't even say that. He said, why don't you preach on whatever you want to preach? And I was like, oh, please don't. Please don't do that to me. But as we got to talking we did just find this deep theme that came out of Portugal with the 27 of us who went of the love of God. And I think for myself, it was a new revelation that I want to get into a bit tonight, but I really had no clue where to start because uh, we should have a whole series on that. But I thought of this story uh, of a guy named Dominic Wallame. Pete Gregg, he's a fantastic writer, and Brendan Manning, you may have heard either of those names, just sing the praises of this unsung hero. Dominic Voilame was a French priest, six foot two inches slim. Please don't think of me. Um, he wore, a, he could not go anywhere without his navy blue beret. So in other words, he was like as French as it possibly gets. But at 54 years old, Dominic learned that he had an inoperable and untreatable terminal cancer. And at 54 years old, he got the news that his life would be ending shortly. So I don't know what I would do if I got that kind of news, but I definitely wouldn't do what Dominic did. <laughs> he moved into a slum in Paris, and he took a job as an over-the-night, uh, basically, security guard at a factory. And each morning at 8 a.m. when he'd come home to his house, he'd stop at the park directly across from his home and sit on a wooden bench there. And as Pete Gregg explains it, this, this park was filled with just marginal people, the drifters, the drunkards, and dirty old men who whistled at women passing by. But Dom, or Dominic, never scolded or criticized or reprimanded any of them. Rather, he told stories, and he laughed with them, and he shared his candy, because that's the key to anybody's heart. And he accepted them as they were. Dominic had such a deep love in his heart, a peace in his soul, and a gift of hospitality that was just magnetic to these, to these cynical young men and these defeated old men. 
Because a simple witness lay in loving and accepting others as they are without question and allowing them to make themselves at home in his heart. One day, this kind of social group of rejects, I don't know, that's what he calls them, uh, just asked him about his life. And he gave them a really short thumbnail description. But then he said to them with quiet conviction that God loves you tenderly and stubbornly. And Jesus died for outcasts and rejects just like you. Later on, one of those old men were asked about Dominique after he passed, and he said that moment, at that moment, all the dirty jokes, the vulgar language, and the whistling at girls, it just stopped. Dominique never tried to impress anybody. He never wondered if his life was useful or if his witness was meaningful, and he never tried to do anything so great for God. He just loved people. And in fact, he kept a journal, and his very last entry before he passed away from his cancer, uh, Pete Gregg says, are the most astonishing words he's ever read. Dominique says this in his very last journal entry, all that is not the love of God is nothing to me. I can truthfully say that I have no interest in anything but the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. If God wants it to, my life will bear fruit through my prayers and sacrifices, but the usefulness of my life is his concern, not mine. See, I found this story of a six-foot-two French priest so remarkably jarring to me as he just saw the love of God uniquely and radically meet this little ragtag group and transform them, where, transform them where no sermon or discipline had reached this community, where no correction or coercion could tread. It was the love of God through the patience and the kindness and the selflessness of this old man that transformed that outcast community. Now, I read this story just a couple days after the Emerging Leaders Collective in Portugal where we all had the time of our lives, seriously. It was like the most exhausting week of my life, no doubt. We were up till 3 a.m. every night, usually doing very holistic things, um, like hitting each other with hammers. That happened a lot. Uh, but we, were, we, were, we went to Italy after just to rest. It was amazing. And as we were laying on the beach there, I was reading this, and I just began to weep. And I really was trying to hide it from Haley, honestly, because I was like too tired to explain what was going on. And, um, <laughs> but I was weeping because just days before, one of the church planters in Portugal shared about their community. And he, he gave this message at the Emerging Leaders Collective called, Is Love Enough? And the, the, the question is as straightforward as it sounds. Is the love of God in our communities enough? And I've had to sit with this every single day since and question and ponder. And as I did, I just started asking, like, God, what can the lo your love in our community do? What is it actually capable of? But as I sat with it and I went a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper, I found the better question to ask was actually, God, what do I believe that I can do, that I'm a little bit more capable of, that your love can't? Like, where do I feel like I need to compensate so that things can actually get done that your love won't get done? And I just felt encouraged to repent to you all for that. 
I mean, on a Sunday from 1.30 to 6.30, I am not the best person to be around, to be honest, because I'm setting up and I've got chords and sound and I'm trying to lead worship and then preach. And, and it, it can be a very unloving time when all the while, like the community of the saints are here to love one another. And many of you just want to show me the love of God and I'm too busy. And I really should show the love of God to you, but I act too busy. I've had moments of conflict with people in these community, this community where I've just, I've held on to grudges and unrealistic expectations of who you are as if that would do anything better than just meeting you with the love of God. And that was one thing while we were in Portugal that I just felt compelled, like that needs to change. But then I read stories like Dominic, breathing nothing but love on these people and they're just transformed. I hear stories of Jeff, the church planter I was talking to you about. We sat down and they, their church meets around the dining room table like we kind of like to do, but haven't been able to as much lately. And he tells the story of uh, these two couples in their community sharing their best tips on how to have the best orgy in your home. And rather than correcting them and being like, what the heck are you thinking? You know you cannot do that. He loves them and he loves them. He shows them the love of God. This is who Jesus is. And when they encountered the love of God, they just came to him and were like, we shouldn't do this anymore, should we? And he's like, no, you should definitely not do that anymore. But so is the love of God compelling to change us in the deepest parts that no words or sermons or coercion can. But then I've also seen it in this community. When we were over in Portugal one night, of just a night that was... Uh, it was just a night of the love of God is the best way I can put it. And, and coming out of that was just this natural two hours of, of you and our community just confessing and repenting to one another. And, and some of you were sitting there sharing the honest, dark pieces of your heart with, the other, with one another. And the others were sitting there holding you, looking at you with love in your eyes. And it was just this beautiful moment of transformation. Why? Because the kindness of God leads us to transformation, as Romans 2 says. It's the kindness of God. So is love enough in Genesis Costa Mesa? Do we believe in this community we can see God do far abundantly more than we could ask or imagine if we will just choose to be a people of love? And I'm not going to re-preach Jeff's message. It was way too good to do that. But I've seen it in the example of Dominic, the French priest. I've seen it in, in Jeff, the church planter. And I've seen it in this community. But is this just some kind of like fluffy idea? Or does the Bible actually attest to the same reality? Now, you can guess the punchline. Not all writers of the New Testament, Testament write in exactly the same way. They all write to different situations, different churches, with a bit different emphasis towards certain moments of the church's life. But every single New Testament writer, without fail, implore followers of Jesus to live in a community built on love, the kind of love that Jesus has shown us by laying his life down for us. Every single writer of the New Testament encourages that. So here, I have a slide for you guys. Uh, in, in John 14, you can put that sucker up. Oh, that's right. We don't have uh, lyrics up there anymore. So uh, you can't see that. John 13, I'm so sorry. John 14, he speaks of the same thing, actually. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, 
everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now catch just this, the, the golden thread that follows through the rest of the Gospels. Paul in Ephesians 5 says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Jesus Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. 1 John 3, he says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. And then finally, and only finally in my example, it's all over. Above all, Peter says, above any command I give you, love one another deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. This is pointing to that same uh, reality of Jesus laying down his life, atoning for our sins, and that we're supposed to love one another with that kind of love. So is love enough? The unanimous witness of the Bible is yes, love is enough. And it's true that love is a very nuanced word, right? I wanna kind of go through like three questions tonight as we explore love. What is love? love. Now, we use that word for everything, right? I love my wife's curly hair. I love it. It was like the first thing I saw about her, and I didn't ask her to marry me, but my cousin actually prophesied that I would marry that girl. Uh, first time I saw her. But that is very different from the way I love her as my bride. So what is love? And then how do we love because every single scholar I've read, every pastor I've listened to would all agree that biblical love is a doing love and actually has very little to do with feeling. So how do we love? And then I just wanna ask, what is truly loving? What's actually loving versus what's just unhelpful and allowing people to harm themselves? Paul speaks um, in this next slide. <laughs> when Paul speaks to the leadership in 2 Timothy of a church, he says, we must not be people who are always quarreling, like fighting with one another, but we must be kind to everybody, be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Now that doesn't just mean like, hey, you do you, I'll do me, we can, we can be cool with one another. He actually goes on to say gently, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. He doesn't say, hey, every time those sinners walk into your church, make sure they feel like absolute crap for all the stupid stuff they have done and how much they've disappointed God. And even though they've been saved for 20 years, what they did 20 years ago is still so detestable and they're the worst people on the planet and they should, he doesn't say that. He says, no, gently, gently instruct them in the truth. Perhaps God, not us, perhaps God will change their hearts. I wanted to call this sermon From Brokenness to Community. It is the most, it's a title of the most beautiful book I have ever read on community by Jean Vanier. For me, it was a light and a word of truth in this dark season as I was coming out of deconstruction and God had restored my faith in him, but my faith in the church was still very frail. I didn't know what to think about all y'all, all right? But in an almost clever and subversive way, Jean Vanier writes on the journey of, of brokenness and how rightfully so, we are longing and hoping and waiting for the day of wholeness. But along the way is community. 
community where love is the foundation of everything we do, where safety and accountability and compassion are the covering for broken and hurting people, and where God wants to meet with you and me and speak his healing words of love and life into you and me through the lips of one another. I really wanted to call this sermon from brokenness to community. But in 2020, Jean Vanier passed away. And when he passed away, those delightful and uncorrupted stories of a man who wrote on becoming human, on forgiveness and vulnerability and community, on the broken body of Jesus, those stories began to change as one by one by one, women courageously shared of the spiritually manipulated sexual abuse that they experienced from him. At least six came forward. And I was just absolutely shattered because how could somebody with such eloquent words and thoughtful meditations on life in community be capable of such evil? And how could he have lived so deeply in community for so long and this stuff only came out after he died? And what about the girls who were victims to his crimes? How will they ever, ever trust community again? How could they ever feel safe in the very family that was meant to be their covering and instead was the arena for their trauma and abuse? How could? How could? How could? I have so many questions. But it gets even worse. It's that he's not the only one. And it's not the only story like that. You probably know of something similar. Maybe it was that headline of the big business leader that failed. Or you knew of that church in your hometown where the pastor did something so horrendous. Maybe it was actually a pastor or a leader in your church. Maybe it was one of your friends or it was actually one of your friends who received the abuse from another person. But maybe, maybe it was you. Maybe you were one of the 66% of women, at least 66%, who have been sexually harassed or abused. Or maybe you're one of the 43% of men who have experienced something similar. These aren't just statistics out there, but they are very real right here in these very seats. Our friends, our family, our loved ones, and we can't be blind to them, we can't act like they're just numbers, or that that wouldn't happen right here in our own community. And I say all of that, one, because it's true, but two, because every single writer of the New Testament spends so much time on love, because though God so loves the world, and though he longs for all to be saved, even though Jesus desires for our evil to be redeemed and restored. Even then, we don't always long for the same. And when this is the case, community becomes a place for competition. Church becomes a stage and a spotlight for inflated egos. Gatherings skew towards shame and self-loathing. Leaders become unsafe. And real people made in the image of God become slaves in many shapes and forms 
to very unhealthy people's very unhealthy desires. And it destroys people and it destroys community. Or in other words, the church. The very model that Jesus gave us to show us what his love for the world is like. And so Genesis, I am calling us today to be a people of love to be a safe place for the broken and hurting people of this city. A people of integrity, regardless of who's watching, a people who are truly and completely rooted in the love of God. But honestly, we have a lot of work to do. And I just say that not off some statistic even then, but because of the stories that people shared with us in Portugal, in smaller times, it's very real right here amongst us. So I'm calling us, Genesis, to reconsider the entire way we give ourselves to community, to reconsider what the norms of how we love and the ways we love and what we're comfortable with for this so that we can be a place where victims of sexual abuse could find a safe home once again in a family and a community like us. That those who are deconstructing their faith and have deep questions about Jesus wouldn't feel like idiots for asking deep questions. That husbands and wives with broken marriages could come into our community and be received with love and care so that they could be in a community where they could be vulnerable and transparent and be walked with. And that those who have been divorced, that we wouldn't meet them first and fo- we wouldn't meet them we would meet them first and foremost with love and compassion not shame and accusation when jesus calls out to the weary and broken in matthew 11 you guys know this he says come to me all who are weary or burdened and i'll give you rest i want to ask you like who do we think he's talking to in in that moment are you with me that got pretty deep for a little bit and it's all deep Who do we think he's talking to? The weary and the broken. Is it the New York City banker who just has been working overtime for six months and just needs a break? Is it the family who just hasn't had a vacation in a year and just needs time to be together? Yes. Yes, it is. But that's not it. I would encourage that the the intentionality of these words is, is very important. Come to me, all you who are weary. He's speaking of those who have been living under the law, trying to make themselves enough for God, to be acceptable to God. He's like, come to me. Let me transform you completely. Not just to give you a break, like to transform you into a life of rest. Come to me, all who are burdened, burdened by the heavy weight of sin and shame on your life, who bear the consequences of the sins that have been done against you and the evil that you have even released into this world. Come to me and I will transform you and I will show you true rest, a life of rest in me. And how does he explain himself to those people? He says, I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. To the weary and the broken, Jesus says, I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. Now, does that mean that Jesus agrees with everything we all do? It absolutely does not mean that. It really doesn't. And is there correction that needs to happen even within the church community? Absolutely there is. And is there sin that sometimes needs to be removed from a community in order to protect a community of love? Yes. But... 
please hear me, never, ever does that revoke our first and foremost mission to, to love, to, to give the love of God first, right? That we always meet the hurting, broken, and people with gentleness and humility just like Jesus does. That is the first and foremost way we meet all broken people who are in our community and outside of the community. I think something that AA gets very right that church, at least modern church, often really screws up, and this is a conversation we were having in elders and training the other night, is that when you walk into AA, your alcoholism is your ticket in the door, right? And you show up and everyone knows it, and you even admit it, hi, I'm Tyler, I'm an alcoholic. And there's no need to hide your shame because you're all there for the same reason. Why don't our churches look like that? Shouldn't we be able to walk into this room and, and not point fingers at one another and act like it's our righteousness that got us here before God? No. Like your ticket into community life, into a church is, I am a messed up sinner. I can't control myself. I need God to restore me. That is your ticket into life with Jesus. And from there, we don't look around the room and be like, can you believe Tyler did this the other day. Oh my gosh, he calls himself a Christian. We say no. Hi, I'm Tyler. I too am a sinner. But here's the difference. It's just like AA who believes that God is bigger than us and that walking in community with God will transform us. Right here in the church, we believe that God is far above our brokenness and mistakes, and his love can completely transform us in and amongst community with us, and that by being a part of community, it would be impossible to not be completely changed from the inside out. That walking vulnerably with others, speaking the love of God to them, speaking the words of God to them, helping them see what God loves about them and their blind spots, that it would be possible to be a part of Genesis Costa Mesa and not be a radically changed human being who lives for the mission of God because you met the love of God. So how do we do this? And I am almost done. How do we do this? How do we love like the God who is God? How do we love like the son who laid down his life for us? I cannot think of any better place to look than 1 Corinthians 13. We often hear these words at weddings, and I would just tell you, he's not speaking to a husband and wife here. He is speaking to a very broken community, actually. <laughs> uh, go read Corinthians. They're wild. Why don't we actually all read this together? Can you do that with me? Let's read this together. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and cannot fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I forgive, if I give all possessions to the poor, I'm so sorry, and give over my body to hardships that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Here we go. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, 
always hopes and always perseveres. Love never fails. And then he ends with this. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. 16 attributes of love, if you want to know how to love. Love is patient. Meryl reminded us this past week that for some of you, your moment of healing might just come in a moment of prayer. For others, it might be 20 plus years of prayer, of therapy, of walking in community before you feel that you've been kind of walked, you know, you've walked through the journey of brokenness. It gives people a space and time to heal. Patient love means we may not always be comfortable that people don't change overnight, but that it's a process and it will take time. Love is kind. We don't shame or coerce people into becoming who we want them to be, but we actually believe that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Funny story about that. Um, This week as I was prepping, Haley and I had this tense moment Uh, it, it was a tense moment, and I don't know what it was about. It was the stupidest thing. It was probably all on me, but there was like no reason whatsoever for us to be tense with one another. I was tired, you name it. Regardless, and suffice to say, is that uh, we had this tense moment. I just went and sat down, and I, was, I, I had just finished sermon prepping, and I opened my notes, and I just voice texted Even if somebody doesn't love me with this kind of love, I can still love them with that kind of love. (laughs) And Haley was like, what? (laughs) I was just verbally processing, but I think that's true, okay? Even if nobody meets you, it was not a subtweet. She asked if I was subtweeting her. I was not subtweeting her. Um, Even if you are not loved with this kind of love, as somebody who has met the love of God, you can choose regardless of who, when, or where to love with patient and kind love. Love does not envy or boast. It is not proud. It champions everyone with humility. Love does not dishonor others as the statistics of abuse have shown us. Love is not self-seeking or easily angered, but it actually bears each other's burdens, as Paul tells us. Love keeps no record of wrong, but forgives even our most hurtful enemy. Love protects the limping, the hurting, and the abused amongst us. Love trusts, love hopes, and love perseveres because in this community, we do believe that God's love is enough. We do believe that the love of God can take broken and damaged people like me and like you and make us whole again. And we do believe that the love of God can transform us and change us and make us new because the love of God is enough. One final story, literally a one-minute story. Uh, Freshman and sophomore year, I was a worship leader at at Vanguard. And I was a butthead. (laughs) Use your own explicitives there. I was an idiot. I was a worship leader on campus, and I remember running down the hall, like flipping someone the bird, and someone is just like, I can't believe our worship leader just did that. Oh my gosh. And I was like, oh man. And honestly, this is not a funny thing. It's, It's a different life. 
I was sophomore in high school, or in college, worship leader at campus, and like hooking up with my girlfriend in the stairwell of the dorms. Anyone could have walked up. I was an idiot. <laughs> but it was one night at a worship night when we were worshiping, and any of my friends who were there, some of you are probably here, will know exactly the moment. It was dramatic for me when we were worshiping and I just hit the ground as I just felt the Lord say, I love you, 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 I love you. And it did not let up for over an hour as I was just on the ground like heaving. I love you, I love you. And I was just saying, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. I love you, I love you. And it was this moment that changed my life. It wasn't somebody getting up and telling me how stupid I've been or what I've done. It was the love of God that met me. And it was a messy journey from there, I promise you. Ask Oksana. <laughs> bearing, some, bearing some burdens with each other in here, right? Chris Pierce. <laughs> that was... Not his daughter in the stairwell. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Woo! But that's why I believe in this so much. Because I can point to the moment when I first encountered the love of God, and I would not be standing here today talking about it with you if I had not encountered the love of God. And that's why I so deeply long for it for our community, guys. And so my just... I want to invite you into one simple practice this week, and it's to share your weaknesses with one another. When you meet in your dining room table communities, formerly known as home groups, if you haven't heard, <laughs> if you want to split up with guys or girls, or if you want to do it together, your choice, leadership discretion advised, share your weaknesses with one another. Because the reality is, is, stuff starts small, but it has a way of blossoming and growing bigger. But we, with the love of God, can care for one another before that happens. Ephesians 5 says this, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes light. How crazy is that? Every dark thing that is illuminated actually becomes a light. Your weaknesses will actually become the reason you are able to care for people because you've been there. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's your invitation today into love, in a community where we see God bring brokenness to wholeness with love of community and God.